Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin, and in this podcast, we're going to talk about an evangelist and missionary by the name of Betty Baxter Hythe, or better known to some people as simply Betty Baxter. Now, I've done lots and lots of presentations on missionaries, evangelists, preachers. This is the only one I've done a presentation on that I've actually heard in person. And when I was a little kid, she actually prayed for me. And so she's very special to my family. She had a big impact on my family. So who was Betty Baxter Hyde? Well, she was a woman that was born crippled and declared terminally ill at the young age of 11. She experienced a miraculous healing in 1941 when she was 15 years old. And she began sharing the testimony of her healing, then preaching while she was still a teenager. As she grew older, she uh, married a minister. They had a work together, and she began funding her own missionary trips to go overseas and kept preaching here and overseas until her health would no longer allow it. And as far as I know, uh, Betty Baxter is still alive, although she's no longer in active ministry. Okay, so Betty was born June 22, 1926, in the small farming community of Faribault, Minnesota, and grew up in Fairmount, Minnesota. And not long after she was born, her mother realized there was something wrong. There was something wrong with the baby. And early x-rays revealed that Betty's organs were not in the correct place. They were shifted out of place. And as a result, they said she would never be able to eat solid food. And so for many years, she survived on milk, fruit juice, and some type of, if I understood her correctly in some of the video testimonies, some type of intravenous feeding. Her heart ended up being double the size it should be. And she ended up suffering multiple heart attacks by the time she was 15. For many years, she was on oxygen day and night. And the older Betty got, the more sick she got. And here's what really made me sad. Um, Her dad didn't do well around sickness. It was too much for him to handle just dealing with this for hours at a time. And so she said many times she would just see her daddy a couple of times a day. He would come and kiss her and tell her he was going to work. And he would kiss her that night and tell her he was going to bed to sleep. Now, I do know when she got very sick and she was having episodes of blindness, she would cry for her dad and he would come and hold her and rock her. And so I know he was there for her, but he wasn't able... He wasn't able to do everything for her that she wished he could have. Now, her mama, her mama sacrificed everything to take care of Betty. She took care of Betty the best that she could. She bathed her. She combed her hair. Uh, When Betty could no longer be dressed because her body was so twisted, she would wrap flannel around her and pin it in place. She was there for Betty as much as she could be while taking care of the home and taking care of Betty's uh, siblings. Now, as I mentioned, as Betty got older, things got worse. She ended up twisted to the point she couldn't straighten up, and eventually her head just laid over on her shoulder. 
and eventually she ended up paralyzed except for her head and her hand and fingers. And she never experienced the normal life of a child. Uh, there was no running. There was no playing. And as she got more and more sick, there wasn't even any toys. There was no need for toys because she couldn't move enough to play with them. Now, just put yourself in the place of that girl and think about how hard that kind of life might be. And there may be some of you listening that have had children in a situation similar to Betty. Maybe you understand what the mother went through, or maybe you understand the father, or maybe you understand what Betty went through. It was terrible, terrible suffering. And yet, in all of that, her mother never gave up hope that Betty would be healed. Now, her parents were Christians. They attended the Nazarene Church. And even though at that time the Nazarene Church taught that the Day of Miracles were past and that we had no expectation of divine healing, Betty's mother believed that it was still possible based on what she read in the Bible. She firmly believed that the Lord would heal Betty. And even as Betty got sicker and sicker and sicker and seemed to be on death's door, her mother clung to that promise. Betty's dad seemed too overwhelmed by it all to believe, and he would actually rebuke uh, Betty's mother for praying for Betty to be healed because he said, you're giving that child false hope, and I don't want you doing that. So even as Betty's health worsened, Betty's mama kept praying, and she encouraged Betty. And she encouraged Betty with scripture, with Bible verses. And she taught Betty to pray. And so Betty also prayed for her own healing. So we have these two women, one of them a grown woman, one of them a child, but still, you know, a female, 15 years old, young woman, believing wholeheartedly, in spite of everything to the contrary, that God still heals. Now, in the early part of her life, Betty was still able to go to church, and so she was born again at the age of nine, nine years old, at Vacation Bible School. Now, I want this to serve as a reminder to all of us that things like Sunday School and Children's Church and Vacation Bible School can make a huge impact on the life of a child. Because Betty was born again at Vacation Bible School and went on to be a preacher and a missionary, and she never backslid. She never turned her back on God. Even when she was faced with horrific pain and sickness, she still loved the Lord. She was genuinely born again, that vacation Bible school, at nine years old. So the Lord does move and work in the lives of children, and they can make a commitment to God every bit as real as that made by an adult. So she responded to the altar call at Vacation Bible School. They were musicians were playing softly and tenderly. And in her heart, she reached out to the Lord. And she had a vision, and she saw her heart, and it was black. 
and she thought, oh, no, my heart is so black. I can't come to the Lord like that with that sin and wickedness in my heart. But in her vision, the blood of Jesus came and it washed that blackness away and it turned that black heart into one that was white and pure and clean. And she knew in her heart that she was born again, that Jesus had washed away all of her sins. And you know, what she saw in that vision is true and it is biblical. The Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And you know, guys, that's something else for us to remember. That the blood of Jesus can cleanse us of every sin, every wickedness, every iniquity. And can make our hearts pure before Him. So she had that revelation and the Lord touched her. And during that time, he also called her to preach. And she informed her dad, who was a Nazarene, that when she grew up, she was going to be a fiery Pentecostal evangelist. Now, Betty later said when she was nine years old, she didn't know what a Pentecostal was, but she knew that's what she was going to be. And her dad was like, okay, (laughs) okay. Well, now, one of the neat things about this, too, is that the minister at their church, the pastor, Brother Davis, was overjoyed at how the Lord had touched Betty, and he sensed that she had a very definite call on her life, and he prayed a special blessing over Betty and asked her parents to be sure to encourage her in her calling. And keep in mind that she was already crippled at this time. If my memory serves me correctly, she had to crawl to the altar because she was not able to walk. She had to drag that little twisted body to the altar and reach out to the Lord. But even in that condition, the Lord let her know she had a calling on her life. She was called to preach. Now, Betty's thought was, well, if I'm called to preach, then that means winning souls and so she decided it was time for her to start trying to win souls and Betty did indeed have her first convert what happened is Betty got too ill to go with the family to church anymore and her older sister oh she happily volunteered to stay home with Betty not that she was uh, so sweet and kind necessarily but it was a fantastic excuse to miss church and Betty She was nine years old, and she said she was sure at the time that the most stubborn sinner she had ever met was her sister. And the Lord had called her to be an evangelist, and so she was going to deal with her sister. And the sister soon became a captive audience to Betty's first sermon. And Betty's first sermon was on the shepherd that goes after the sheep that have wandered away. And as Betty was preaching... She got so lost in it that she gave an altar call, even though it was just her and her sister. And when she opened her eyes, her sister was there weeping. The Lord had touched her heart, and Betty led her sister to the Lord while her sister knelt at the couch. So that was Betty's first convert. That was a tremendous encouragement to her, and it also gave her hope that she would be healed because she thought, in my physical condition, How can I ever preach? And she said, it must be that Jesus is going to heal me. However, she would get much worse before she was going to get better. So, what do I mean by getting worse? 
Well, Betty's body continued to twist more and more, and she had to completely quit school by the time she was 12. And as her body twisted, her internal organs got forced even more out of their normal place. And then lumps the size of hen eggs began to appear along the length of Betty's spine. And she was sent to a large hospital that was filled with medical experts. And Betty said she had a specialist for every part of her body, a specialist for her stomach, a specialist for her lungs, a specialist for her liver. And they did everything they could. Now, one of the main problems that... Well, let me rephrase that. One of the most serious complications that had arisen was through the years Betty was on pain medicine to control the extreme pain that her body was in. And as is typical with pain medications, the longer you're on it, you build up a resistance to it. And some of you listening to this may understand exactly what I'm talking about. I don't understand for myself, but I've had family members that have been in this situation. And they would increase the dosage to keep that pain under control. And that was causing problems for Betty's heart. And she was having repeated heart attacks. In fact, uh, one day her grandmother came to visit her. And Betty got so excited that she had a serious heart attack. And her doctor made a rule that no one could come to visit Betty except her mother, her father, and himself, because he was so concerned for how serious and life-threatening these heart attacks were becoming. So they tried to find a way to fix the problems with Betty's system and with her body, but they couldn't do anything. All they could do was find some different ways of helping her deal with the pain without causing more problems for her heart. Now, Betty was 11 years old at this time, and she said she was in the hospital for three, almost four months, and it was the most miserable months of her entire life. She hated it, and Betty said to this day she can't bear to go to a hospital, that the only time she will go into a hospital is if somebody is in ICU and they're dying and they have specifically asked that she come pray for them. And she will go in and pray and get out, but she just can't handle that anymore. The The memories and the emotions that are tied in with all that are so powerful and so strong. She just can't handle it. So the doctor comes in and he says, Betty, uh, I have good news for you. We're sending you home. And so Betty thought, I must, that must mean they've got a way to make me better. They're going, I'm going to get better. And he said, your daddy is on the way right now to come get you. Betty said they loaded her up on a gurney. They strapped her in. They put her in the elevator and took her down to where her dad was. And the doctor said, Mr. Baxter, can I speak to you for a moment? And he asked her dad, he said, what does Betty know about her condition? And her dad said, she knows everything we do. We've not kept anything from her. We believe in very being very open and very honest with her. And then I can speak. Now, I can speak freely in front of Betty. And her dad said, yes, please do so. And so the doctor comes in and he says, Betty, we have the best specialist. And they have tried and they've tried and they've tried. And there's nothing we can do for you, Betty. You're terminal. And I'm sending you home for your parents to try to make basically your last days as happy as they can. And to say Betty was crushed 
would be an understatement. She was just broken hearted over this. To be told at the age of 11 that she was terminal, she just couldn't, she just couldn't think of it. And she, in one of the testimonies that you can find on YouTube, in one of the testimonies she talks about when she's going through the prayer line and she's praying for people and she lays hands on someone to pray for them and they tell her the doctors have said they're terminal. She says she knows the frustration. She knows the sadness. She knows the fear associated with that. She knows. And so this was a very terrible time for Betty. And she said that she got home. They took her home and she was laying in her bed and she was crying and crying. Her mother came in and she said, Betty, why all the tears? And she said, well, didn't Daddy tell you what the doctor said? And her mother said, yes, he did. And she said, well, they say I'm going to die. And her mother said, but Betty, we know the Lord is going to heal you. And so Betty reached out and took hold on that promise. Again, this was one of the scriptures that Betty loved so much that she said spoke to her so much because it seemed to describe her. This is from Luke 13, 10 through 17, a modern English version. He, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. There was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over and could not straighten herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And then he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And that's one of the scriptures that Betty and her mother mother held on to. As things got worse, she developed kidney stones, St. Vitus dance, random attacks of blindness, random attacks of deafness, repeated heart attacks. She couldn't go to school anymore, and then she couldn't even stand the pain of riding in the car anymore. Then she couldn't have visitors anymore, and her whole world became this one room in her house. And yet, she and her mother believed the Word of God. And it's important that we remember faith is not a feeling, but faith is a choice, a choice to believe the word of God when everything else stands contrary to it. When everything else seems to say it's not true, you choose to believe the word of God. That's what she and her mother decided to do. Now, as I said, things got worse and worse and worse. And Betty was in that room, no visitors, and she would spend hours at a time. She couldn't, guys, she couldn't even roll over on her own. She depended on her mother to come in and roll her onto her other side. It was impossible for her to lie on her back. And when no one else was allowed in her room, and Betty was trapped on that bed all day long, Jesus became that friend that she could talk to. She could talk to Jesus. And sometimes Betty said she heard his voice audibly speaking to her. Now, during this time, Betty had become very insecure, and she feared that no one truly loved her. And even her mother, who took care of her the way she did, Betty felt like she's just doing this because she has to, because I'm her child. And if I died and was gone, then she'd be free to do all these other things. And she was very insecure. 
But you know what's neat? Betty said every time, every time that she spoke with Jesus, the Lord would touch her heart and remind her, sometimes audibly, that he loved her very much. And Betty said this was such a tremendous comfort to her during this time. You know, people that are sick and depend on others to help them and depend on others to take care of them, that can begin to weigh very heavy on their hearts. And fear begins to set in that they're a burden. But you know what? We're never a burden to Jesus. Jesus never gets tired of hearing us say, Oh, Lord, I hurt. Jesus never gets tired of us saying, Oh, Lord, I'm so weary. Jesus never gets tired of us expressing our frustration with sickness and illness. Jesus doesn't get tired. And he never considers us a burden. And that is that comfort that the Lord brought to young Betty during this time. And even when no visitors were allowed, they couldn't keep Jesus out. And you know, Jesus can be there, whether it's a bedroom, in a home, as was the case with Betty, or a ICU, or a critical care unit, or a hospice room. Jesus will be there if we will but reach out to him. The Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. And when everyone else looked at Betty and saw a poor, pitiful, little crippled girl, Jesus saw past that crippling disease. And Jesus loved her, and he had great, great plans for Betty. I'm sure you've heard the expression that it gets darkest before the dawn. And that was true in, in Betty's life. The Lord actually showed Betty in a vision that she was going to get much worse. Yes, even worse than what I've described. And in the vision, she recognized herself on an overstuffed chair that they had kept in her room. Betty saw herself paralyzed, only able to move her fingers. She saw herself with her head twisted upon her shoulder and resting upon her knees, bent in a, a U or a W shape, her body twisted almost in half. And when Betty saw that vision, she begged the Lord, Please, Lord, don't do that to me. Please don't do that to me. And the Lord reminded her that he is the potter. Was she willing to be the clay? Betty struggled internally with this question. Finally, she said yes. And she said, Lord, I will live for you regardless of whether my body is bent and twisted. What a powerful commitment to God. What a mature experience in God for a teenage girl. But she told the Lord, yes, much like Job, though thou slay me, yet will I serve thee. Even if my body is twisted beyond recognition, I will still serve God. And over time, what Betty saw in that vision became a disturbing reality. And still, still Betty and her mom believed in God that he would heal her completely if she just kept praying. Now, 
Betty had become very seriously ill. Her mother came in, and Betty was breathing strange, and her lips had turned uh, almost purple color, and her fingertips were darkening. And if you're familiar with uh, the signs of death, of impending death, those are kind of the signs. And her mother rushed to call the doctor. The doctor rushed in, and he told her, This is it. Betty is, uh, Betty is dying. And if there's anybody that you want to invite to come come see her before she goes this is the time to do it betty was in a coma for five days and she woke up from that coma her eyes opened and her mother realized her eyes it wasn't a blank stare but it was she saw the recognition that betty was seeing her and she got down at the side of the bed so she could look in betty's face and she said betty it's mama can you hear me can you see me And Betty said she was so weak and in so much pain, all she could do was smile. But her mother knew, her mother knew what that meant. Betty said the pain was so terrible, and she said, Oh, Lord, she, in her heart, as she lay there, her body twisted, racked with pain, Lord, please, you don't have to heal me. Just please take me on home. I want to go home. I want to go home. You know, they say a lot of times, especially people with dementia, as they're nearing the end of their life, a repeated theme is, I want to go home. And it doesn't mean that they want to necessarily go to their physical home, but it's almost a subconscious cry to go to their final home, to heaven, to be free of the pain and the suffering. And that's how young Betty felt. And she prayed to die because the pain was so terrible. And she said suddenly, It was cold, and a darkness settled around her that she was not familiar with. It just enveloped her body, and she was afraid. And suddenly a light appeared, and she felt a man's hand take hold on hers. And she said it wasn't her daddy's hand. It wasn't the doctor's hand. And she could feel scars in the palm of that hand, and she knew it was Jesus. And he was with her. And she had a vision of heaven. And she said she saw the boys and girls that were playing in heaven. And not a one of them was crippled. Not a one of them limped. Not a one of them was sick. But they were all healthy and happy and full of joy. And she said, oh, Lord, please let me stay. And the Lord said, it's not your time yet, Betty. It's not your time yet. And as she began to return to herself the lord promised betty that he would heal her in the fall and this was summer and so she as i recall her testimony if i do recall correctly she did go back into a coma and she uh, came back out of it and she kept praying she kept praying for the lord to heal her and she said august came And she begged the Lord to please, oh please, just this one time, let August be considered fall. Oh please. And on August 14th, a day that she'll never forget, the Lord promised her that he would heal her on Sunday, August 24th at 3 p.m. And he told Betty not to tell her mother. And Betty was so excited. She thought, okay, I'm The best way not to tell is not to even talk about it. And she noticed her mother came in the room, and her mother looked different. She looked happy and excited. And it turned out the Lord 
had promised Betty's mother the same thing. The Lord had given her the exact same date and time. Because her mother said, Betty said, Mom, what, what's going on? You look so happy. And she said, Betty, the Lord promised me he's going to heal you. On August 24th at 3 p.m., the Lord had given her the same information. Well, Betty said the knots on her spine continued to grow. And the pain continued relentlessly, but she knew she's going to be healed. And on Saturday, August 23rd, Betty asked her mother to get her a blue dress and some patent leather shoes. Now, Betty had never had a dress, and she had never owned a pair of shoes. Um, one time she asked her dad to buy her some shoes. And he said, Betty, there's no money. And if there were money, what would you do with them? You can't walk. Well, Betty told her mom she wanted some patent leather shoes. And she said her mom knelt down on the floor and got a hold of her foot. Her little foot was twisted and tried to straighten it out the best she could to get an idea of what size to get her. And her mother is getting ready to leave the house. And her father says, where are you going? And she said, I'm going to get a dress and some shoes for Betty. And his immediate thought was that Betty was dying. And it was coming soon. And he, if I, if I remember correctly, he may have started to cry. And she said, the Lord is going to heal Betty. And Betty wants this dress and these shoes. So her mom went and got her the blue dress and the patent leather shoes. And she sped, spread the dress out on the bed for Betty. And let Betty look at the shoes. Sunday came. And one of the visitors that Betty was allowed to have was her little brother. He was four years old. And at 15, if they had tried to set Betty up on the floor, she would have been the height of her four-year-old brother because of how twisted she was. Well, her little brother just adored her. And he was so excited that Jesus was going to heal her that he went to Sunday school and, and told the teacher. He raised his little hand, and she said, Yes, what is it? If I remember correctly, his name was Billy. And he said, You know my sister Betty that's crippled and the teacher sympathetically nodded and he said well at three o'clock today Jesus is going to come and heal my sister and she's coming with me to church tonight and the teacher was probably like oh bless your little heart <laughs> you know but that's what uh that's what the Lord was going to do and Betty had her mother invite anybody over that wanted to see her be healed and so by 2.45, there was people, there was neighbors, there was friends, there was church members, there were relatives that were arriving. Some of them came as early as 2. At 2.45, Betty asked to be put in the big chair. And they put her in the chair. Her head was laying on her knees, paralyzed. Her arms were hanging straight down as her dad carried her and placed her in the chair. And at 2.50 p.m., Betty and her mama began to pray. And at three, at three o'clock, there was a sound of a wind blowing that everybody could hear. And Betty saw a white cloud. She said it was pure white. There was no darkness. There was no shadow in it, but it was a pure white cloud. And Jesus stepped out of that cloud. And her little brother, Bill, little Billy was kneeling by her bed, by her chair. And he saw Jesus too. He saw him too. And Jesus came walking in that room at 3 p.m. And Betty said it felt, he touched her and it felt like someone had a hold of her heart and she could feel her organs shifting.
And then it stopped, and she thought, is this, is this all he's going to do? And she thought, if it is, that's okay. But the Lord laid his hand on her again. And within 10 seconds of Jesus coming in that room, Betty was standing straight and tall for the first time in her life. She was healed. She sprang to her feet and ran to her mother. In the Pentecostal evangel from 19, I believe it was 1941 or 1942, ran an article about Betty's healing. And there's a picture of her there in a dress in patent leather shoes and she's standing straight and she's standing tall. There's not a bit of evidence that she had ever been a cripple. And think about it. She was able to walk and run on legs that had never been used. The miraculous power of God that instantly gave her the muscular development she needed to move and walk. And she went with her family to church that night. She went with her little brother and she walked into church. And she began giving her testimony, and she gave her testimony in the local high school auditorium, the same high school, by the way, that James Dean had attended. And one thing led to another, and Betty began preaching. And she would study and take classes in the daytime, and she would preach every night as a teenager. And she said that blue dress she had developed holes in it from rubbing against the pulpit when she preached and shared her testimony. But Betty was healed, totally and completely healed by the power of God. Betty would later end up marrying a, an evangelist named Don Hype, hence Betty Baxter Hype. And they had an adorable little baby boy after they were married. And there's a book about her testimony that I haven't been able to get a physical copy of yet, but I have been able to find some pictures of it. And there's a sweet picture in that book of her with her husband and her adorable little boy. And so she began to also travel with Oral Roberts' ministry in the early days of his tent revivals. And she traveled with his group for 11 years. And crowds could easily reach a thousand people. And on the nights that Betty spoke, as she gave her testimony and she preached, there were between three and five hundred converts in those meetings. She was anointed by God to preach. And I want to point something out that I left out earlier, and I think this is important. Betty said that when Jesus was about to heal her. He told her, he said, you've been kind and you've been patient. And she said, when Jesus said those words, it made all the suffering she had gone through worth it. It made all the suffering worth it. And we look at her and we see her in her early 20s already having this powerful ministry and reaching all these people. And we think, well, you know, don't you have to pay your dues and blah, blah, blah. People have no idea of the suffering that she went through. You know, that's something to keep in mind. We don't know what other people have gone through. If you looked at Betty, you would just see a healthy young woman. You would never dream the heartache and the literal physical pain 
and emotional suffering that she went through. But the Lord anointed her and she preached night after night. She literally visited every state in the U.S. and every single province in Canada. And then in the 1980s, in the 1990s, when Christian television uh, became very popular and widespread, she began to appear on Christian television, and her testimony reached an even wider audience. And there's two recordings of her testimony, one from TBN, one from a church. And with all that I've said about her, nothing takes the place of looking that up on YouTube and listening to it yourself to hear the anointing in it to hear her tell that story is so wonderful and so that that story of healing and that story of God's love spread across the world and then she began to travel overseas to places like Calcutta and India and Singapore and her husband was assigned to a church in Singapore and then she would spend three months in the U.S. traveling and preaching raising money to go to Singapore for three months, and then come back to the U.S. for another three months, travel, preach, raise money, go back to Singapore. And she did this for many years. Betty would raise her own funds for food, travel, and lodging. And as the funds became available, she would send it ahead of her to these foreign countries to cover the cost of advertising uh, her meetings. And in uh, an edition of the Pentecostal Evangel that I believe was dated either 1968 or 1972, there's a picture uh, that shows her with some other ministers praying for people at the altar. It's the back view of her, but she was identified in the photo, and this was taken overseas. And even into her 80s, Betty was still traveling and preaching all the way to Singapore until her health no longer allowed it. And that makes sense for somebody in their 80s that, you know, maybe their body is just not up to that anymore. Now, one of the things that I like about Betty Baxter, she's very down to earth when she talks. And and when you hear her testimony, when you hear her preach, it's very moving, but it's so very down to earth. She seems like she could be your next door neighbor. And one of the cute things that I heard in one of her stories was how sometimes the Lord sends her places that she doesn't want to go. You know, if we commit ourselves to the Lord, we have to be willing to go where he sends us. And sometimes it's going to be someplace we don't really want to go. And Betty said that she really had a hard time in Calcutta. She did not want to go there. She said they show her to her room for the night. And her host says, now... If you see some rats come in, sometimes they're as big as tomcats. Don't worry about it. It's just real common around here. The people don't kill rats because they believe it could be the reincarnation of perhaps a family member, perhaps their grandmother, and so they don't kill them. Betty said when she got in her room, she closed the door and she got in her suitcase and she got out the shoe with the longest, sharpest heel on it and she put it on the end of that bed and she said if that rat had come in, she didn't care whose grandmother it was, she was killing it. (laughs) That's an awfully interesting down-to-earth view of her adventures in missionarying. And she also talked about um, doing work in Indonesia and the adjustment from what we take for granted here in the U.S. and what is considered standard in Indonesia at that time. And I would estimate the video I was watching was probably made somewhere in the early to mid-1980s. She said that she uh, 
was in Indonesia, and the the toilet was a hole in the floor, and the shower was a bucket of cold water with a ladle in it, and basically you sudged yourself up and then threw the water on yourself. Betty said she had a really hard time with that, and she would come in and she after preaching. And she would just be drenched with sweat, and she would be so hot. And she said that ice-cold water hit her, and she knew everybody in that place knew when Betty Baxter was taking a shower because of the way she yelled. <laughs> and she said that she would sleep on a mat on a concrete floor. And as she slept on that mat, she noticed as she got older, it was getting harder and harder to get up from that mat. And she said she didn't consider herself an old woman, but it was just not as easy as it used to be. So Betty, despite having visions and seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus' voice and all of that, was so very down to earth and so very approachable. Like I said, I remember when I was a little kid hearing her preach at Tabernacle Assembly of God in Irving, Texas. I remember seeing her, and I remember her telling that story, especially the part about the lumps on her spine. And I remember her praying for me. And the night before I was born, my parents were at a Betty Baxter meeting. And my dad had struggled for years with cigarette addiction. He couldn't quit smoking. And he smoked like a he smoked like a furnace. He had I think he went through two, possibly three packs a day. It was a tremendous amount and he had tried through the years and he couldn't quit. And he went up there to get prayed for at Betty Baxter's meeting and she laid hands on him and she prayed for him. And the next day my dad gets up to go to work and he goes in comes in the kitchen where my mom's at and he says, Laura all my clothes smell terrible. I can't go to work smelling like this. And what it was is he smelled the nicotine. And he had gotten so accustomed to that smell over the years he didn't notice it. But the Lord had delivered him from cigarettes he never smoked again. And she has, like I said, a very special place in my own heart. I was able to find a newspaper clipping from the, uh, I believe it was from the 1970s. Yes, from the 1970s, where she was a guest speaker at the church where I was attending. And there's actually on here uh, where there's a testimonial from Oral Roberts. And it says, the Betty Baxter story is the greatest story I have heard. It is a drama of deliverance in our time, ranking with the greatest miracles of the Bible. That a young girl, hopelessly crippled and deformed, as the woman Jesus healed in Luke thirteen ten through 13 could have the faith to believe Jesus would heal her, is a challenge to every person who has ever felt the awful power of sickness and disease. The Fairmont Daily Sentinel carried the story of her healing in bold headlines on its front page after she was healed. And shortly after her healing, 1,000 people gathered in the high school auditorium to see and hear her tell her story. And I think it's neat uh, that this particular newspaper advertisement, it says, Pastor Sarah Sharp, that's who I was named after, Announces services with Betty Baxter Saturday and Sunday, May 5th and 6th at 7 p.m., two nights only, during which Betty Baxter will give her testimony of the healing miracle she experienced. And uh, the church says, all faiths welcome. And this is neat, too. It says, bring the sick for prayer.
And the Lord continued throughout Betty's ministry to heal people. And she said one time when she was a teenager, she said, I would rather get up and tell what Jesus has done for me and to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ than to eat or sleep. And I hope and pray that Jesus will someday use me as an evangelist. He did. And I'm going to tell you just now what Jesus has done for me. And then the story went into her, her testimony. And I want to read you how her testimony ended in that, er, that 1940s edition of the Pentecostal Evangel. This is what Betty had to say. And again, mind you, she was 16 years old when this particular testimony was recorded. Are you here tonight sick in your soul? Is your heart unclean as mine was? Won't you accept Jesus tonight? He is a wonderful friend. I wouldn't leave him for all the world. I'm so glad that when I was nine years old, I surrendered all. Confess your sins and Jesus will do the rest if you have faith in my Savior. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Are you tired and worn with the weight of sin? When God created you, he put that hunger there to serve him. And if you will come to Jesus, he will give you the peace that passeth understanding. Won't you give your heart to Jesus tonight? I love him so, and I want you to love him too. I want you to have that joy and peace. So if Jesus should come in the clouds, you could say, Jesus, take me home, I'm ready. Won't you give him your heart tonight? God is talking to you. Jesus is walking up and down these beautiful aisles talking to souls. He is watching and waiting for you to come home. I think that's beautiful. And the two things that stand out to me the most from Betty Baxter's story. The first one is the power of a praying mother that believes God. Now, some people may take offense at what I'm about to say, but we hear so much emphasis in the church on the father being the priest of the home. But mothers, I want you to know this. Even if your husband doesn't believe, even if your husband is not a Christian, that doesn't mean the Lord can't move in your family. That doesn't mean your prayers don't have just as much power. The Lord healed Betty because of the prayers of she and her mother. And mothers, don't give up. Do like Mrs. Baxter, even in spite of circumstances that seem to make it impossible for that prayer that you're praying to ever come true. Keep praying and keep believing. And the other thing that always stands out to me about Betty's testimony is the simple faith in the Word of God. The power of the Word of God, the power of a scripture. Betty talks about how if you are seeking for healing, you get that scripture and you keep praying that scripture and you keep believing that scripture and quoting that scripture and believing the Lord. We forget how powerful the Word of God is. And so I would encourage anyone listening to please go on YouTube and look up Betty's testimony. One version is about 45 minutes long. Another version that was recorded at a church has some other details in it and is a bit longer. 
But please, go listen to one of those. You won't regret it. Make some time to listen to it. I promise you. I promise you it will touch your heart. It will encourage you. And thank you for listening. I hope that you have found this interesting. And I hope that in some way it's spoken to you.